ethics is a personal thing. So you have personal ethics and you might have business ethics. And those things can change and nuance in time as well. Something that might have been perceived to be absolutely ethical today, in two years' time, you might be eating your words. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel and today I'm joined by Joe Riley, currently leading member growth and marketing at Australian Super, which I think uh, it's fair to say, Joe, is certainly one of the most, if not the most, respected providers of superannuation in Australia. So welcome to you. It's great to be talking with you. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. That's good to know. That's good to know. Now, I'd like to start, I often do start this way, and it's just uh, the last few times uh, the the people I've interviewed just so happen to have been recently elevated into new positions. And so congratulations on that. I wanted to talk a bit about your role. You've been at Australian Super for a number of years now. We've just been talking about that. And, And more recently, you've taken member growth and I think some other things under your wing alongside brand and marketing and and both of those things. How has that transition been? And what benefits do you think the organisational consolidation has brought to you and and what you and your teams are doing? Uh, So the transition, we're still in the midst of that transition of change, but I've been here for over 11 years now. And on face value, I would think a marketer being in an organisation for such, such an extended period of time could lead to stagnation. Uh, and lack of innovation. But if I look and reflect back, when I started here, the marketing department consisted of all of seven people and the program was fairly immature. Uh, and if I look now, there are across the, the my entire department, there are about 140 people. Within the marketing and brand side of things, there are around 60 people. And the complexity and intricacy of our program is materially different from what it was 11 years ago. The most recent change of all aspects of member growth being um, acquisition through all channels and and retention of members coming together is something that on face value and in all reality makes so much sense. So historically in superannuation, members have joined via traditional channels of through their their employer. uh, And that was an area that uh, a peer of mine ran and There were so many opportunities for synergy, but there were also so many opportunities to transform what that looked like. Uh, The role that superannuation plays in a business or a superannuation provider has become quite different, especially in the last few years with legislative change. Businesses are now looking for us to add greater value. And if all you're thinking about is traditionally how we've operated, you're potentially going to miss a lot of those opportunities. So right now we are in quite a material change and that looks at that function coming in but also us consolidating all of the teams and focus around communicating with our members or prospective members and you know that with you know goes without saying it brings so much synergy it improves what the the customer experience is going to be it gives us so much more opportunity to look for how we can leverage and pull things through the line so it's an incredibly exciting time Uh, It's also a time that I'm very conscious of is hard for some people in the team because change means different things to different people and there might be roles that don't suit people in the new team. But ultimately, my primary focus is how do we look at future-proofing the growth of the fund? Because with the growth and, and with the size of member base we have and being the largest brings material advantage to us. So 
having the, you know, the aspiration and then the vision for how we achieve that over the course of the next 10 and beyond years uh, is something that I now have custody of and it's mm. incredibly exciting. You read my mind a bit there, actually, because what was going through my head as, as, we were, as you were talking just then was that the intricacy of what you're doing, of course it makes sense on the surface, but this is a huge organisation and, and superannuation is not, not as... Mm. It's a complicated sector, right? Um, so from a marketing point of view, the intricacy of what you're doing, the, the technology involved in that, the, the tech change involved in that, the way you work with your suppliers involved in that, but also, and this we come up against this a lot when we, we, we do projects of this nature, is um, cultural, cultural Very change. Much. And you just you just referred to it as I was thinking it. So some people, this is this is really hard. Yeah. Um, how are you? What steps are you taking to try and to mitigate for that? Yeah. So we've also, you know, in addition to that, we've bought the most traditional function in the business being distribution or growth through employers, which is where Industry Super was born, mm. uh, with, you know, one of maybe or the most innovative function in the business being the whole marketing test and learn uh, side of things together. So, you know, you polar, you know, so all of these changes and then you've got that in there as well. Uh, and, and a big part of that vision obviously plays a really important part. And if I go back to the purpose of our, you know, of our organisation is that people have the best possible financial outcome at retirement. And there are so many different ways that we can achieve that. So making sure the vision that we have and people understanding how they feed into that is really important. But also so is the storytelling of why it makes sense that someone focusing on you know, traditional distribution models can get a whole lot of value out of engaging with someone from a communications perspective mm. or from a technology perspective makes a whole lot of sense. So, you know, we, we've had an example recently where we've started to see that businesses are reconsidering who their super fund is because their payroll provider isn't offering what they want from a business perspective. So if we're not paying attention to that and we don't have relationships with the right payroll providers and people who are focused on managing relationships with businesses aren't thinking about any of that, we're missing, we're, we're losing, yes. you know, we're losing market share in that space. And so that's where you find ways to couple innovative, different thinking, you know, all of that, you know, incubator of ideas with the traditional so that people can see real examples of how it comes together. So that storytelling and that vision is critical in this. Well, that talks to what I said before, which is the complexity of your of your sector. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about that a bit more from a, at a consumer level. You've just been talking a bit higher level there, but from a consumer point of view, um, the, the superannuation in, in context of the times we're living in. Uh, the macroeconomics of, mm. the, the, and, the, and the effect it, play, it has on, on your business but also on your consumers. Which And I know that I think Australian Super really does, having worked with you in the past, you know, there is a real element of care for your consumers as much as yeah. there is for acquiring yeah. new consumers yeah. and, and working with businesses. Um, we are living in challenging times. You know, the, the current cost of living crisis, the rental crisis, property affordability challenges that sort of based on the headlines push the goal of home um, can't speak home ownership further and further away for many, and particularly young people. You know that's an interesting challenge in that mm -hmm. home ownership. That issue makes retirement planning even more important it because does. it's been the mainstay of so many people. Other aside from mm. superannuation, it's been the mainstay. So, 
and you, you need to correct me where I'm wrong here because this is my own sort of thinking, but the, the things like making salary sacrifice or other voluntary contributions into a super fund becomes harder mm-hmm. in, in with, with challenging economics yeah. and, and challenging times for people. Not to mention there's been initiatives like people taking money from super to pay for property, mm-hmm. which I'm sure must have been interesting for you. Um, what, what, what are you seeing and hearing from your member base and the broader industry? I mean, do, they, do these pressures... Are they indicators in your business? Do you see them? Yeah. And how do you deal with them from a marketing point mm. of view? So they're, they're well and truly real. Uh, before I get into a little bit of that, I think what's where Australians are so advantaged by our superannuation system and the fact that it's compulsory is human behaviour is that we don't save for the future. Mm. So we discounted value. today is worth a lot to me as opposed to if I put that $50 away, it might be worth $5,000 by the time I retire, but I don't see that value. That discounted value comes into play. So as soon as there's a pinch on, human behaviour is to have keep what I have now or spend what I have now and make sure I'm okay right now and I'll deal with the future when I need to deal with the future. So the fact that in Australia we have a compulsory system for people who you know, who have employers, and I, I make that reference because it's not actually a system that's universal for everyone. If you're self-employed, you don't have that safety mechanism over you. Uh, and, and, you know, there are people that, you know, average life expectancy doesn't even hit preservation age. So I won't go into that too much other than to say there are opportunities to improve the system for all. But the beauty of this is that people are locked in to save for the future because it's compulsory in nature. So, yes, there will be people, and we're seeing it in our member base, that, you know, voluntary contributions, whilst the levels are still, you know, within the realm of, you know, where we had forecast they would be, there's a change in members who are doing voluntary contributions or they might be doing them but at a lesser amount. Um, You know, consolidation looks a bit differently. But if you look at the early release scheme that happened during covid the amount of people who withdrew money during that period of time and spent it on discretionary things as opposed to paying for bills, paying for food, mm. goes back to evidencing that we don't necessarily help ourselves. People who withdrew the $10,000 there effectively lost out on $80,000 by the time they retired from doing nothing other than keeping that money in the system. So we're definitely seeing people's behaviour change. But one of the really important things for us is making sure people understand how the system works, trying to get people to understand the benefit of compounding interest, uh, the tax savings and benefit that comes from being within the super system versus not, uh, and helping to ride through with them for whatever that journey looks like. Because the reality is right now economic pressures, we're seeing people delay retirement Uh, And that's across the board. We're seeing less people, uh, and and this is verbatim from our accredited advisor network, but we're seeing, you know, people unsure of what they want to do with their money. We're seeing people who want to take money out and hold on to it, which, again, comes with a whole lot of loss associated with it, but it's just that immediate, if I have control and I have it myself, at least I have it. It mightn't be as much as it could be, but I can have it now. So, there's so many things that are important to make sure when you're communicating and engaging, you're not tone deaf. So, for example, we turned off a whole lot of member engagement programs that talked about uh, particular actions you could take on your balance when there were the floods in Queensland and northern mm-hmm. New South Wales. Because if someone's house has just gone under, 
they sure as hell don't want to hear from their super fund about, have you consolidated lately? You know, this would be about there would be support messages coming out at that point in time. So making sure that you're cognizant of and respectful of environmental impact, financial impact is so important. Yeah, it, it plays a lot to the human, what you're talking about plays a huge amount to human psyche. Mm. And you, just the fundamentals of human behaviour. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I, I mean, the, 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 that government scheme to allow people to, I just I fundamentally disagree with that. I thought that was really irresponsible. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, like you say, 10,000 a day is worth 80,000. You can't expect everyone to to grip that or to, no. or to even care about it yeah. in the immediate term. Because it goes against the human psyche, that discounted value. But, but, but the whole point of compulsory super is a protective net around that yeah. psyche and, that, and they just remove that net and allow yep. people... Anyway, that, mm. I mean, that's it. We're, getting off, we're getting off topic. <laughs> um, but I hear you in terms of the approach to marketing and, and comedy. You yeah. have to be so... And the messaging that goes exactly. to, your, to your member base, you have to be, to be really careful. Trinity P3. You mentioned the C word there, COVID. I'm, I'm trying not to. I keep it. It keeps on coming up. I, I, I now no longer have questions about COVID. <laughs> nor should but, you. Nor should I. But I am interested. I mean, and I asked mm. this of a number of, you know, recently um, I spoke with um, Carolyn Bendel, a CMO of Swinburne Union. You know, fascinating talk about how that sector had coped mm. through COVID. But from a pure, from a contributions point of view, um, voluntary or otherwise, mm. it, it, you, you, you sort of mentioned a bit there and, and in context of the withdrawal scheme, but what, what else did you see during that time? Uh, so we forecast a lot more impact than we thought there would have been. Okay. We thought employment would have been, uh, unemployment would have been a whole lot higher and, and that wasn't us that, you know, yeah. that was collectively, you know, from a, um, you know, a federal perspective that was forecast to be a lot more dire than it was. Right now, we're seeing a rebuild that's happening in the hospitality and retail sector, so we're seeing a lot more members joining in that space. But it was nowhere near as material as we thought it would be in terms of industries where there was significant reduction. Um, and, you know, whether that was in part because of the mechanisms that the government put in place for the, um, you know, for the schemes to, to make sure there was still money coming in for people, but... We actually had in, so 2021-2022, the largest number of members ever join our fund. Right. Which was certainly not what we expected no. to happen. See, I was thinking possibly more voluntary contributions given that people weren't able to spend money, had a bit more. I mean, certain yeah. within certain, social, within certain yep. groups yep. of people, they would have had more money and yep. potentially more discretionary income so to pay in. But. We also had in this period of time the largest number of members join us directly. That's, so what okay. that could also indicate is certainly if you were Victorian, definitely uh, metropolitan-based, but also, you know, there were, there were certainly lockdowns and, you know, activity lessened across the country but people had a lot more time at home. So you think about the home renovation boom that happened, yes. you think about the life admin boom that happened because a lot of people had a lot of time that they needed to fill in. And so was that a significant trigger in people actually looking at their finances oh, and getting right. themselves sorted more so? Record joins of people choosing to join directly. It was very interesting from a media perspective, though, of having to pivot that program. So out of home, TV, those types of things have been, you know, big for us. We've done a lot of, um, 
you know, um, advertising in um, in elevators from a you know to try and get um, in front of white collar workers, for example. You've mm. got to pull all of that from your program. Yeah, indeed. But I'd be fascinated to see where you got those new members from, mm. because the other thing that plays in my mind there was that, that, that I think that's a I think that's spot on about having just more time mm. to think about something that is fundamentally important, but is at the same time low interest because of the human behaviour we talked about, right? But superannuation, the, the reputation of some some of your competitors has mm. taken a battering over the last three years for various reasons. Yeah. Um, well, even more than that. So if you go back to the Royal Commission that was in 2018, yes. so you had the impact of that. Uh, and then two years ago or two and a half years ago now, the performance test was introduced. So that looks at naming the yes. funds that are underperforming over the last seven-year period. And first year of that, we actually saw a sizable amount of market activity. Uh, we were beneficiaries of a number of, um, of individuals from those funds joining. But interestingly, uh, all bar I think one of those funds that was named on that underperforming list have now either merged or are in merger processes with other funds. So that's actually a really good outcome that mm. they are underperforming, people are stuck in these funds partly because of inertia. They may not even know that they're in these funds despite the fact the fund would have had to have communicated with them. But that's stimulating market consolidation, which is important. Yes, indeed. Well, I think it's it's really fascinating. The dynamics of it are really fascinating. And um, I think everything we've discussed probably played a part in that sort of surprise result, that surprise mm-hmm. kind of yeah. COVID, COVID yeah. bump where you yeah. expected exactly the opposite. For um, a product that is such a feel, – it feels like a grudge purchase. I've, sit in, I've sat yeah. in focus groups where people say it's just like a tax. So it's a grudge purchase and yet it will be your biggest or your second biggest asset when you retire. Astonishing. Well, biggest asset more and more because of – The home less, ownership. Less yeah. Um, okay, well, look, we went we went pretty broad there. <laughs> I want to bring it back to the topic of this podcast, which is marketing. Let, let's talk, I mean, my new C word, right? My new C word is mm-hmm. AI. It mm. doesn't mean C, but it doesn't matter. I mean, everyone's talking about AI, and it's almost an obligatory question now for all interviewees given yeah. the current hype. But, but talk to me about your thoughts on AI marketing. Are you testing or using a chat GPT or something? If not, do you plan to? I mean, I think you do run a heavy amount of, acquisition mm. activity requiring high multiple executions but mm-hmm. I'm also thinking you're very heavily regulated there are legal challenges around yeah. it that you know you need to be very careful what you mm-hmm. say so how does that work with AI or does it work even with AI so from a service perspective AI and a chatbot is really important so we we have a chatbot that has I think it's about 30 odd thousand questions that have been put into that chatbot that's, I do want to note that, yeah, mm. I mean, I, I went too narrow there. I was thinking Avatar, you're, mm. you're absolutely right. So, and, and, and I raise this because it's got, it's got relevance to, to what my response as a, from a marketing perspective will be. So we feed those responses in. So it's not machine learning from what individuals are putting into it. We, we control what goes into it so it learns from that aspect. And, you know, we've got over 3 million members uh, the ability to be able to service and engage those members is really important mm-hmm. because ultimately it's their money that we are custodians of. So we need to make sure, uh, you know, we're there whenever they need to be there. The idea of 
AI in that aspect is for those transactional type of engagements, how do I reset my password? Where do I find this form on the website? If you can use AI to help respond to those types of things, it means you're freeing up your contact centre agents to be able to have those meaningful, deeper conversations that people need to be able to have. So that's a really important part to our service strategy. But if I think about it from a marketing perspective, going back to your comment about it's highly regulated, the difference of one word can be material in terms of how something is phased. And if you think about the likes of ChatGTP or depending on what how the machine learning works, it can only learn from what it can scrape, what things have already been created. And I listened to this really interesting podcast uh, the other week where Bronte Campbell was being uh, interviewed. And they, as an experiment, normally their producer does a bio to introduce the speaker uh, or the guest, I should say, And they also got ChatGTP to do it. So they read out the ChatGTP one to her. It got the number of medals she'd won wrong. It got her retired status because she wasn't retired wrong. Uh, It got her world record status wrong. These are pretty material parts about what's relevant or all the information. And it's because for whatever source it went and scraped to get that information from happened to be a wrong source. So that's a real challenge that chat GTP or, or, you know, any form of AI presents where just a nuance of a word, one word first versus second or an and or an if or a but or a could or a would can all mean there's material difference in terms of intent uh, means at, at this point in time, other than using it to potentially create a copy deck that would then go through all of the same processes, it's not something that I see has relevance to be integrated into what we do because yeah. of that nuance. Yeah, self-defeating, isn't it? If you've got to do all the same shapes. Yeah. But as you're at, what were your agencies think? Or your, your, your ad agencies, have you had any conversations about it? Uh, we've more so had conversation, not so much with the ad agencies, but looking at, you know, how, how can it play in terms of goals-based? How can it be used mm-hmm. to, to help people from a scalable advice perspective? That's where I see it having bigger impact, not, you know, how can we create you know, the you know, the 150 different ways that we want to position our fee message in market, for yes. example. Yeah, I, it's because that's where, I mean, from an advertising and an agency point of view, that's where the, you know, is it machines yeah. running ads now, not all that kind of stuff. But I think that example you just gave me, I'm seeing others crop up now where the gloss is coming off a bit because yeah. you, the people are realising the limitations of it. Yeah. You, it can only go on what it, what it's what consumed, it sees, yeah, right? and then what it's, what and you it can also it you can also game that. Yes, of course. So you could have, um, you know, you could have a way to put a whole lot of information out where it's going and scraping from that's not right. Yes. So it's, yeah, of course, subject to yeah. fraudulent activity. Yeah, it's exactly. Activity. Correct. Oh God, we're going off topic again. Yeah, yeah. guerrilla <laughs> marketing, marketing two Of course, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> That could that could definitely be a thing. Let's let's see what happens. Um, but I mean, you know, if you look at trends that have involved this kind of technology in the past, you know, personalization of digital advertising, mm-hmm. you've seen that go off into huge issues around yeah. fraud and, and yeah. everything else. So there's I mean we're laughing about it, but there's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't yeah. or couldn't happen. Yep. Um, okay. Well, I think it's a it's a thumbs down for mm, AI, but it's, yes. at least as far as advertising goes. Correct. And, I mean, we've got regulations on us around um, misleading and deceptive. Yes. So as soon as you have the likes of misleading, you need to be really clear about the way that you're phrasing things. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah, one word. One Correct. word out, completely yep. different. Trinity P3. Let's talk a little... We touched on this just a couple of minutes ago in a, in a broader conversation there, but um, um, ethical investment, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think... You, you mentioned the Royal Commission. You mentioned um, a couple of other things that, where, where some players really have come under pressure. Um either because underperforming or because of, in quotes, unethical mm-hmm. or, or less ethical investment investment strategies. Um, I, I would expect you guys to rank fairly highly, frankly, in terms of ethical sentiment with consumers. But I'm interested from a marketing perspective, again, what are the do's and don'ts? How do you, how do you tread that line by, yeah. in terms of communicating that you're, yeah. you're an ethical player without... I don't know what the term would be, ethics washing? Yes, yeah. Well, there's a whole thing around greenwashing, greenwashing, which comes back to, you know, to ethics at the moment. And it's interesting, um, you know, ethics is a personal thing that you can then overlay. So you have personal ethics and you might have business ethics. And those things can change in nuance in time as well. Uh, and I think that's a, an interesting and dangerous territory in itself. So something that might have been perceived to be absolutely ethical today, in two years' time, you might be eating your words, uh, you know, as a result of it or falling on your sword. But the whole idea around, you know, ethical behaviour, ethical investing, again, there's part of it for me that I think goes back to that human psyche side of things is it's really important and it motivates people but it may not necessarily motivate people to act. And I say that in that we've got a a socially aware investment option Uh, and we have about $280 billion in member assets that we manage and about $2 billion of those sit in that socially aware option. So market research tells us that it's very important that we have options that are around that, that we've got the right ESG frameworks that sit around how we manage investment, but it doesn't necessarily resonate. And then I think if you start unpacking what is ESG, what is the ethical yeah. side of this, what role should a you know should an investor play in any of this? And again, $280 billion worth of um, of member assets means there's a lot of work that's done around how do we be an ethical and an active investor. And I um I I had this uh, you know this I think it's a really interesting story relayed to me the other day around we have an investment in Peel Ports, which is a a collective group of ports in Europe. And when we were originally um, tendering to, you know, to buy into that, we withdrew from the process because the safety record was terrible. Mm. And, of course, what that means from an investor perspective, it's not a good safe workplace, you know, that there are all of these reputational challenges that come with it. And anyway, so we withdrew on that basis and... In the end, the um, the owners came to us and said, we've declined everyone else's offer. We actually want to talk to you. Uh, is this a game you're playing to try and screw us down in price mm. or are you serious about this? And we said, we're serious. Yeah. This is an investment option, could be fantastic, but we are active investors. We believe in, you know, needing to have sustainable, you know, ethical practice in terms of how our investments you know, operate and your safety record doesn't stack up for any of that. So we then went through a process where we committed to we would pay X now and they would get the remainder once it improved their safety rating. They've now got the number one safety rating of ports in Europe. So, But do do people understand that's any part of what an ESG framework looks like? Some will, 
I think the majority won't, though. And, yeah, you wouldn't exactly, it's not something you would communicate. No. So I think it goes back to this value proposition again. So Mm -hmm. you need to, as part of your value proposition, be ethical in how you make decisions, be ethical in where you play or where you don't play. But if you start scraping the surface, that can also look really different for organisations. So, you know, I, for one, am incredibly proud that I work for an organisation that both on face value makes ethical decisions, behaves in an ethical Mm -hmm. way, but then once you start digging down, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Yeah, so what you're saying is that whilst you do have your ethical option and it's it's a very small proportion Mm. of your overall fund, which that that in itself is interesting, but you you basically say, look, even though we have that, it, it, the framework extends way beyond Correct. that. Way beyond that. Exactly. In terms of the decisions you're making behind the scenes. Yeah. But I think, I mean, again, God, human human psyche has come up in this so much, mm. human behaviour, but that sort of 2 billion of 280 number, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? I, you know, people, is that is that to do with people's... Well, it's like post-purchase rationalisation. Why did you buy this? Because it was a good price. Well, what were the other prices? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I know I should have said price, though. Yes. Yeah. But also, I mean, people talk about ethics and diversity mm. as individuals. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the, the common term is virtue signaling, right? Yes. They say virtue signaling, but but are they actually doing anything yeah. about it under the skin, under the surface? Your That number would suggest maybe mm. not as many as Yeah. It's, a, it's like a, an important decision maker in terms of do I choose to join that organisation or put my money in yeah. that fund? but I may not choose to invest in that particular option. Interesting. It's interesting. We're getting, all, we're getting all the secrets today. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Trinity P3. Let's take a sidestep then because, and, and again, sort of wind this back into marketing and, and advertising, but, you know, from an ethics perspective in marketing, uh, privacy is another mm. really challenging topic. And, and, you know, for the whole industry right now, agencies, advertisers, all categories the government plans that are in, in train to limit segmentation and targeting, targeting of advertising audiences for privacy reasons via this updated Privacy Act. I mean, there's a lot of argument at the moment between industry, industry mm. bodies, between Consumer Rights Alliance, between the government. How big, and I'm thinking purely about how you can target your mm. advertising at the moment, how big do you think that fallout could be for, for an Australian super? Yeah. Uh, so I think we have a benefit in that we are industry agnostic yep. to, to begin with. So if I was wanting to target pe- people who specifically only worked in an industry, I think it creates a whole other level of complication. Uh, but to be honest, targeting is challenging for us to begin with. So of our um, 3 million members, the, there's about 50% of those who have joined via their employer and being what's called deemed into us, which means we might, we'll have their name and that might be the only bit of personal information yes. that we have about them. So we may not know age. We'll know the fact that they've got an accumulation product so they're still working uh, and we'll know where their employer is based. We may not have their address so we've got an idea of what their state would be unless it's a national uh, payroll system paying for an individual. We may not even then know the state that they reside in. So... The challenge with this is it kind of flies in the face of what consumers are starting to expect from organisations that I want you to only speak to me about what's relevant to me, but the ability to do that 
might then be cut off, mm. which is going to create quite a uh, dissatisfying experience for a consumer because that's what they have been, you know, more and more so been starting to experience. So I think it's a real challenge. And I think, you know, you know that the whole adage around, you know, right place, right time, right message is so important and, you know, even more so in, a, you know, in an industry where there is a lot of inertia, where people don't necessarily understand, you know, the, the value that comes with superannuation and if you can't show up in a way that's relevant to them, it's that falling is, on deaf ears. It is, it is challenging. I do think I've got mixed opinions about this, this issue. I, I do think that the advertising industry and the digital advertising industry in particular does have a lot to answer for mm. in some, in some mm-hmm. regards. The, the technology that's been used to pursue people everywhere around the go, yeah. you know, whether it's the, whether it's cookies or whether it's any yep. other form, um, can be incredibly in- intrusive. Mm-hmm. But having said that, advertising is what pays for the internet. Advertising yes. is what pays for Facebook. Advertising yeah. is what pays for all these things that consumers get for free. Um, and as you've just said, yes, of course, people want the right message and, and yeah. they're going to be more receptive to the right message. So it's almost like a have your cake and eat it. Yeah. So, you know, you think about the experience of you're on a website and you've looked at something and you want to scroll down and you want it to tell you these are the other things you might be interested in. I get so frustrated when they are entirely irrelevant to what I've just been looking at or not complementary. Yes. Because I'm expecting now, because there are sites that do it exceptionally well, and I'm expecting you know that, so do that. But at the same time, though, so the dark side of that is is where... Well, you, you know, you go back to that story of Target in the US with the, you know, young teenage girl who was pregnant and the parents got served up. Oh, yes. The, you know, the, you know, you might want to buy these on your next deal because yeah. someone's pregnant. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, so I, I was about to do a much more benign example, but um, uh, I mentioned to my wife a couple of times that I was coming in to interview you and doing a podcast and you worked on Australian Super. I've been served Australian mm. Super ads across the last week out of nowhere. Yeah. I've not been looking for superannuation yeah. options. I've but your been, phone has heard you. My phone you. has been listening, right? Yeah. So, that, you know, where do you draw the line? Yes. Um, is is a really is a really interesting yeah. one. I know this is more Well, I hope you liked those ads. Well, they're, they're <laughs> wonderful, wonderful banner ads. I must go and, you know, Great. thank Steve Good. O'Farrell and the guys yeah. at the Royals for doing yeah. some wonderful, wonderful work there. But... Uh, and I and I will be putting all my money with Australian Super, but um, it's it's. I, I agree. Well, where's the where's line? The line? Um, and where's the opt-in? And where's and yeah. of course that's what this is all about. It's opt-in and opt versus yes. opt-out, and they're trying to take lessons from the GDPR in in, in Europe. Mm. But um, yeah, I I think it's going to be challenging. I really do. So do I. Even though targeting is hard for you, as you say, I still think yeah. it's going to be it's going to be really hard. But um, and we're going to have to see how that. And I think then that's where. So, yes, it might be hard. So then the opportunity comes to how do you contextually find the right place to place yourself? So I guess there's an element of laziness from a strategic thinking perspective of, you know, we've got someone's cookies so we can literally just chase them around versus where do the right partnerships, where is the right content that contextually you make a whole lot of sense. So if you think about, you know, what's really successful from a marketing perspective, if you can get a genuinely complementary integrated proposition in something like, you know, you think of things, you know, organisations that have done it incredibly well in programming, for example, Mm. those who have not integrated well stands out like a sore thumb. But, 
you know, there's there's a real art to that and they're incredibly impactful because there's a story around it. It's bringing purpose and value and meaning to life in the one instance where someone can actually see the value. You're not trying to communicate value in a 15 or a 30-second TVC or, or radio commercial. So I think if it happens, it actually will create a challenge and create a real opportunity for people who can think about how they better integrate and partner. You sound dangerously like you're suggesting moving away from technology and, and towards the basics and fundamentals of how to do good marketing. That's just, that's just that's showing just my age. That's scary to Yeah, no, but look, I, that's actually, I hadn't thought about it like that. That is actually a really mm. interesting thought that it, that it could actually prompt uh, more rigor, I guess. Mm. I mean, I, you mentioned laziness. I mean, it, it does it, yeah. it prompts it, it does prompt you to go back and think think harder about things if you don't have these sort of yeah um, crutches, the cookie crutch to lean on. Yeah, interesting. Trinity P three. We'll talk quickly about next big plays. You're not allowed to say AI for this because we've no. already talked about AI. And you're giving it a thumbs down. But thinking about the the short and medium term future of marketing, you know, what do you see out there or or coming down the pipe? that excites you or maybe maybe scares you? I feel like I do need to reference the AI. <laughs> side possibly of privacy as well. We can, yeah. It's my, it's my bad sequence of questions. I should know <laughs> as well. Go on, um, you can reference whatever you like. So I, I think there's something that um, I think is interesting and scary at, at the same time because of the fact that it could be absolutely fraught with danger with people. And, and this is something that, you know, I've had them on my radar for, you know, a, a couple of good years now. But with the rise of AI, with the rise of Siri and, you know, um, Alexa, Alexia? Alexa. Alexa. Uh, yeah. Where and when uh, humans and that type of knowledge dis- disintermediated from people. So I think about you could literally pick your phone up and say, which super fund should I join, Siri? Mm. And are you going to get the right answer or not? What you might have is a perception of this is completely unbiased. This is factual yes. information that's going to get me in the right space. So as we continue as a society to be, to be more and more time poor, do we start furthering, you know, you know, farming out our administration tasks of ourselves or, you know, managing our finances to technology because we think technology has the vested interest for it for us. And if you then start unpacking the way that technology has been used to manipulate human beings, I find that really alarming. Mm. If it's used for good, great, but it may not be. So that's certainly something that I think is is really important. Um, And the other part, I think, you know, going back to that ethics side of things, I found this a really interesting construct from my personal ethics perspective of seeing the way technology has been used around elections, around managing information that has or hasn't been shared over the last few years, I'm a big utiliser of that in my professional life. Do I think it's always serving good? Mm. I'm farming it with a lot of money so it can continue doing what it's doing, but it is, is it always for the good of people? So I, I feel a bit of an ethical, um, you know, friction point with that. But... To, to the other part of, you know, where do I think that there's exciting things? So I still think there's so much in it, and, you know, I'll talk about this from a superannuation perspective. This is a category that 
people's behaviour is changing in. So there's been this adage of, you know, young people are completely disengaged. Mm-hmm. They're not. If you're still walking around with that attitude, you're incredibly arrogant and out of touch mm-hmm. with what the market looks like. People are becoming more and more savvy. Their, their expectations are becoming greater. And as an industry, it's becoming more competitive. Because of the consolidation that's going on, it means there are fewer players. There are big players like Vanguard who have entered the market. So it means there is a massive challenge to do things a whole lot differently and a whole lot better. And it's an industry that, um, you know, is pretty traditional in the way that it's engaged, you know, primarily, you know, member engagement or retention is done by pushing out communications. That's so one-dimensional. So there's so much opportunity in how, you know, what role does gamification play? I feel like, again, showing my age talking about (laughs) gamification, but... I still think it's completely true because it engages people um, and you know, can break down complex structures for people. But what role does that play? What role do, do applications play? What happens when people start walking around with every, everything to do with their finances all combined on their phone and they live, you know, their whole life is lived out of their phones? So I think that's going to continue um, to challenge what we're doing and, and the change in behaviour that then creates of short form, bite-sized everything, especially when, for me, we're trying to communicate something that's complex and, you know, potentially long form is the right way to go about doing it. If everything's on your phone, how do you overcome that? I think it's a really interesting point you make about the uh, attitude towards young people. And I, and I think, I mean, clearly they're much more sophisticated than, than they were because mm. of the power that's at their fingertips. But I also think superannuation, and I've worked with a few superannuation providers, and the, the, the classic is, well, yes, I mean, we, we know they're there, but they're lower value, and therefore... Yeah. Yes, we'll focus we, on them later of on. Of course we want them to join, but we'll, let, let's really focus on them when they're earning mm. you know, 150k plus or whatever. Um, uh, that seems quite myopic yeah. to me. That's always seemed a bit myopic to me, given the amount of choice and power that they, that exactly. they have. They, they, yeah. they, can, they can change super annuation at the touch of a button. Yep. And that coupled with, I mean, you mentioned Vanguard, there's Australian ret- um, Retirement yes. Trust. There's funds like Unisuper who are now able to... Correct. Uh, they the public they can open fund. their fund. Yep. Um, yep. Aware Super. Exchanges, aware Super, mm. all, all of those. Um, you've got a really, really... Suddenly there's, a, there's an explosion of competitiveness. Correct. Um, so I think the smart ones will drive the kind of change you're, mm. you're talking about. Um, and that mixed with all the macroeconomic stuff that we've been talking about, yeah. is, that's going to be fascinating in this sector, I think, going forward. So, yeah, look, some some scary plays, um, but some some big places as yeah. well. You, you'll be... You'll be uh, I'll be well and truly busy. <laughs> well, yeah, well, let's, let's make that the final thing. You will be well and truly busy. You probably do have the best superannuation fund in the world, given how, where you work. How many years till you retire? That's my final question. Oh. Uh, I'll hold you to it. I don't have a plan. <laughs> well, no, I shouldn't say that. That sounds horrendous, me working. <laughs> I, I don't have a time frame. I certainly have what my retirement income would look like and how yes. that will be funded. But I don't know if I'll ever not work in some guys. And I think that's the other thing of retirement now doesn't look like retirement looked when our parents retired. Right. Uh, it's not a I get to 65 or maybe 60 um, and I'm out and I'm done and I go around in a caravan and play with the grandchildren or go and do yeah. lawn bowls. Sit and with the blank out of your legs. Yes, and yeah, do some crosswords. <laughs> uh, retirement looks so different. So you, 
what we're seeing more and more so is people are reducing the hours they work. They might go and do something different, uh, but it's not that hard and fast. I'm out. And, and of course, the longer we live, and I, I listened to this fascinating um, lecture at a conference I was at a few weeks ago from a, uh, a person based in the UK, and I can't remember any more detail than that, which isn't helpful, but he talked about the change that's happening in um, average life expectancy is meaning X number of additional hours that effectively you have in your lifetime to fill. Yes. And this is becoming material as the age goes, you know, from, you know, many years ago you know, it was in your 60s yes. and now yeah. it's, you know, in the, in the 80s, yeah. for example, that's a lot of hours to actually fill in your time with. So what are you going to do that's purposeful and meaningful? Because if you're not finding things that are purposeful and meaningful, typically your health starts to deteriorate, et cetera. So for me, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll always be doing something. Well, it was a joke question, but you've given a very serious <laughs> answer. I mean, for all you kids out there, you know, Joe knows exactly what her retirement income is going to be. You should too, quite frankly. Yes, no, categorically. In, in, in well, I am also building a house and the land costs more and the house costs more. So oh, yeah. that oh. might have a bit to do with it. And, of course, interest rates keep on going up. So Well, good luck with all that. Thank you. Um, hey, it's been lovely talking to you, as always. Um, thanks so much. I, I got a lot out of that conversation and um, I'm sure everyone else will too. My pleasure, David. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks. Thanks.